our virtual podcast tour around the world, today we're spending some time in Australia. With the help of Ideas Australia team, I managed to bring together the creme de la creme of the Australian hotel investment world to talk about their perspectives and opportunities for the industry. Australia seems to be doing a lot of things right, and as a result, the outlook is more optimistic than in other regions of the world. On the podcast today are Lucia Grambalova, General Manager of Hotel Investments from Malfa Australia, where she oversees value growth of some of the most prestigious hotel assets in Australia. Nigel Greenaway, National Director of Hotels at Colliers International Australia and previously head of two of Australia's leading wholesale hotel investment funds. Glenn Boltwood, CEO and co-founder at Serene Capital, a funds management company with a focus on core property classes, including hotels and commercial real estate debt. And finally, Howard Campbell, owner of Seacom Hotel Asset Management. Enjoy this virtual visit to Australia and as usual, don't forget to subscribe. All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Unconstrained uh, Conversation podcast. Um, we are, I think, at episode 27 now. And uh, I am uh, really excited again, as, I'm, as I am every week. And this time we're going to uh, Australia, which um, we haven't had on our podcast yet. We have had a couple uh, people joining in from New Zealand, but this is the first time we have uh, people joining from Australia. I am really, really excited to have a very professional and experienced panel of um, investors and uh, fund uh, directors and uh, managing directors um, from the investment hotel investment community in Australia. So I will um, have each of you say a couple things just so everyone knows whose voice is, um, is whose. And I'll start with uh, Lucia to um, say a couple things and say hello to the audience. Hello, everyone. It's always me who starts first. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's the beauty of the fact of being a female and everyone's so polite. Um, so just a few words. Um, I'm the general manager of hotel investments for Malfa. Malfa is a diversified hotel management company, but also a residential developer, uh, investor in a commercial real estate asset classes, a fund manager. Um, it's been an interesting 2000. 20, um, starting with the bush, bushfires in Australia and then um, linking into the, the COVID pandemic. And it's been interesting to observe how individual stakeholders have been handling the situations, starting from uh, the bankers to investors to hotel managers. And I'm looking forward to having a wonderful conversation with my fellow colleagues about this topic. Great. Thank you. Should we go next to Nigel? Nigel. Welcome. Hi, Klaus. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Um, yes, my name's Nigel Greenaway and I'm National Director of Hotels. Uh, my responsibilities here at Colliers International here in Australia is um, uh, is asset management for a range of clients uh, across Australia. Um, as Lucia said, yes, what an interesting year we've seen. And uh, and I think, um, you know, with every challenge like this, there's silver linings in every cloud. And, um, you know, with the progression of this year and the, the, the way that people have managed through this year um, has certainly seen, I think, at this point in time, some, um, some opportunities, which no doubt we will talk about on this uh, podcast. Great. Welcome, uh, Nigel. Um, Glenn? Yeah. 
Hi everyone, it's Glenn Botwood from Serene Capital. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Serene Capital, which is a boutique uh, hotel funds management company with a uh, portfolio of 11 hotels around Australia at this point in time and looking to expand. Uh, it's been an interesting year. Uh, when I first founded Serene Capital around six years ago, I was hoping for a correction in the market. Uh, and now it's here, um, but it'll be interesting to see what opportunities uh, play out. And uh, as they say, you always need to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and as they say, don't let a crisis go to waste, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Howard, um, last but not least. Good morning, everyone. Yes, uh, I'm Howard Kimball. Um, started a company almost 20 years ago called KCOM. .com.au, following a uh, hotel career and working for individual and institutional owners, uh, one of whom is also uh, with me today, Nigel Greenaway. He actually hired me in the beginning when you were with uh, Colonial First State, Nigel, correct? That's right, Howard. Yes. Great news. And sort of helped me uh, get going, in fact. So... Currently, my biggest client is uh, Dr. Jerry Schwartz. He's the largest, <clears throat> pardon me, hotel, individual, private hotel owner in Australia. And that gives me a range of brands and um, challenges across his group, along with a couple of other clients in a similar situation. And I think between the four of us, you'll get a good feel of <clears throat> what's happening down here. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone. It's like a family reunion here. Um, yeah, yeah. Is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've all worked together at some point or other. So, yeah. <laughs> That's true. <Yep. laughs> all right, let's get started, uh, kind of with the uh, with the, the theme here about um, uh, Australia and the the state of the industry in Australia. Um, who wants to start with a little bit of an overview, kind of what's what's been maybe Nigel you with the level of occupancies, kind of open closures of hotels, um, kind of what's the general state. Well, I think um, we've particularly seen that um, this year has transpired to be that of a mixed bag, I think. Um, You know, where we're at right now, we're seeing um, largely business through demand for hotels coming through um, quarantine business of some sort, Um, that being either Australians returning um, to the country or other government-type business that um, links to quarantine of some some nature. Um, We see leisure business, that uh, pockets of leisure business emerging since the intrastate and interstate lockdowns are sort of um, softening. Um, That is very much restricted to times of leisure travel. You know, it might be weekends or school holidays. Um, but also ge- geographically sort of defined as to see to, as to where the, uh, the 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 opportunities lay there, and I guess we're seeing some sporting groups as they start to reemerge and and travel. Um, outside of that, there's not much else. Great, thank you very much. And and uh, what about that travel bubble with New Zealand that uh, was just started a couple of days back? That uh was an interesting experiment, I guess, <laughs> as far as I'm hearing. <laughs> so some yeah, New Zealanders came to Australia and spread their wings unexpectedly, right? 
Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> but um, look, it's uh, it's a real positive sign, though. Yeah. Um, if we can get uh, domestic travel um, back on its legs, free and unencumbered across Australia, you know, there's a big chunk of our normal demand returning uh, into hotels. We then layer on top of that the New Zealand um, inbound business, which you know, in any year is is one of the top five sort of um, inbound travel. This, uh, uh, geographies, um, you know, this will really serve Australia well. It's early days and, of course, there's some teething problems, but I think we'll get through those. Great. So um, maybe, uh, Lucia, when, when we talk about uh, hotel owners, asset managers, I know that both Glenn and you kind of respond to that. Um, uh, we, we know in the U.S., right, we have about 30% of the hotels currently being behind on the mortgage payments. Um or debt services. Um, yeah. you know, at the same time, hotels are operating at much lower occupancies and are still breaking even uh, to some extent, um, especially in the economy sector. You know, the, the, the long, the extended stay segment's been doing pretty well with 60, 70% occupancies in the US and in Europe. Um, what, what, are you, what are you seeing in your hotels that you're managing, that you've invested in? Um, uh, and you have a, a global portfolio, I guess. So it's not just restricted to Australia, right? Yes, we do, and uh, uh, absolutely happy to talk to this point. Um, so just focusing on Australia, we are, uh, from the investment perspective, and that's what you were uh, implying initially, and from the financiers perspective, we are in a much better position locally as the, the financiers are taking a much more friendly approach, if I can call it. So they have been, ever since the beginning of the pandemic, from March onwards, they have been very proactive. And um, been very collaborative, working with individual investors and trying to determine how long this period uh, period of support will go. They have been, oh, they've been waiving um, the covenant testing periods. They have been providing interest holidays. Um, I know finance, certain finances are not going to be asking for valuations for a period of two years. It really depends on the, on the history of a sponsor and, and the financier. Um, so you have these, uh, the good part from the financial services that's not going to go forever for everyone and probably is going to become much tougher starting quarter one next year because um, the horizon um, of full recovery is progressively moving outwards. On the other hand, there is a various level of government stimulus which has been provided locally and that has been really well received, starting from a JobKeeper, which is... Um, a stimulus provided to all the employers, to employees via employers, where a relatively a decent amount of money is paid to individual employees uh, fortnightly, uh, and that's a fifteen. That was fifteen hundred dollars. It's just changed to twelve hundred dollars, and that's been uh, being churned through the individual assets. So there is a still sustained cash flow, and unemployment has been um, has been managed through that. There have been other. Uh, Stimuluses. So, for example, there have been change in um, insolvency, and there is a insolvency moratorium. So, um, even though there is no cash in the company, the companies can trade for an extensive period of time. So, the likelihood of um, distressed assets coming to market in a short period of time, as as you imply, could be in US. It's it's not here as yet. It will happen later on in track. In terms of the profitability, and um, everyone has been working really, really hard with the operators. All I, I know, everyone on this call, from from Howard to Nigel to Glenn, 
to ourselves, we've been, you know, 23rd of March or 20th of March or whatever the date in March was, we all just went down, spoke to our hotel management companies and tried to determine very strong action plans, how we can turn this around and how can we stay alive and support each other and sustain each other. So certain hotels were shut. Our portfolio was shut for a period of three to four months. We since reopened all of our hotels. Um, uh, we completely restructured all of the operations um, and uh, we have managed to create the ability of, you know, certain staff members working in various departments and that definitely uh, increased efficiencies and productivities, which led to the improved uh, kind of a flow through levels. But it was also supported by the JobKeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so th- there have been a number of things done for, in terms of the productivity and break-even points. It has improved. Is there going to be, is this going to be forever? That's to be seen. But I would like to hear from... Um, other members how they <laughs> see. Yeah. Well, to add to the chair's uh, comments in in respect to that, there's also been changes to industrial relations law, which has allowed us to reduce full-time employees down to mm-hmm. and part-time employees down to 60% of their hours. So if a full-time employer was working 50, uh, five days a week, we can reduce them down to three days a week. And that's had a material impact in terms of profitability levels. Uh, in terms of our portfolio, um, given we are in the limited service space as well as extended stay, uh, we're getting down to break-even levels of 14 to 15% occupancy, mm-hmm. um, which is really low. I mean, even compared to the US, given the uh, significantly higher labour costs typically in Australia. And we've done some work in terms of what it looks like, at least on one of our hotels, once that stimulus ends, and we can still be profitable around the 21% mark, uh, which is extremely low. Once you get into those bigger box hotels, CBDs, where they've got significant uh, uh, state and uh, local government taxes involved, um, then it's a lot harder to get down to those sort of levels. So talking to a number of the five-star operators in Sydney, for instance, their break-even level at the moment is closer to 45 to 55%. So it does depend on the type of product, um, but also the location. A lot of our hotels are located in fringe CBD, suburban or major regional, and so a lot of those statutory government taxes are significantly lower, which reduces our break-even point as well. In terms of the debt side of thing, one of the interesting things is that those who got in early uh, from a debt perspective had the opportunity to defer vows for quite an extended period of time. Uh, interestingly, I heard yesterday that uh, those that had verbal agreements to uh, not undertake a valuation during the period. Uh, one of the banks has just issued an edict saying that uh, all those deferred valuations now need to be undertaken by 31 March. Now, and that's just not across hotels, that's across all industries. Um, so it probably gives you a guidance in terms of uh, the bank's timings, in terms of re-looking at their portfolios moving forward and their exposure. Uh, and a lot of that's been driven by the regulatory authority as well uh, in terms of capital allocations, et cetera. So mm-hmm. at the moment, the banks have been extremely patient uh, and uh, conducive to going on business. Uh, that patience will run out at that some point in time. 
But like with the GFC in Australia, they were still very patient. We didn't see a lot of forced sales. Um, we're seeing transactions at the moment in the CBDs that are at pre-COVID levels are only marginally below. There's a massive weight of capital. So in the CBDs, we don't expect to see uh, the same level of distress that we've seen, say, in the US. And we're at much more conservative gearing levels. I mean, in the US, you can gear up to sort of 95%. Uh, here, um, you're talking maybe 55% mm. uh, tops, 60% tops. So there's a lot of he more headroom in there for the banks. And there's a lot more equity at risk from an owner's perspective. So they're very different markets from that perspective. Right, right. And, and do you see, so you, so you don't see the same amount of kind of transaction kind of happening as we're seeing in the US now, where, where, where huge amounts of you know, portfolios are starting to shift ownership, um, which is good, good for your market. <laughs> no, look, our market's very fragmented as well. Right. So there's very few portfolios in Australia. I mean, between us, we've probably got uh, the biggest portfolios in Australia. <laughs> um, outside of that, you take us out, then the majority of assets are individually owned. Mm. Might have one or two hotels. So you don't get the same uh, ownership structure and you don't have an institutional ownership base to the extent that you do have in the US. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. And, and incredible, you can operate at 15 to 20%. Um, which brings me to the next question, Amelia Howard. You, you can you can help answer that um, about the, the brands and how brands will shift kind of their, uh, I guess, requirements or standards or expectations of what kind of services are expected to be delivered um, going forward. Right? And, uh, you always have that. We had a conversation a couple of weeks back with a, with a number of C C level executives from the hotel industry, investment community, um, and, and uh, VCs. And you have this, this this layering on of brand expectations over the years, and and many in the industry now see the kind of that going backwards, where where only the critical items are, go, are being kept and everything else is being stripped, right? Without while balancing guest expectations. So so what's your what's your opinion? Um, how will how will brands' expectations shift? Um, are inc investments increasing, decreasing? Sorry, Hart. I, I think the operators have been fantastic in the last few months. They've definitely dropped standards. They've reduced some fees. Uh, you can cut some deals on, you know, management fees for or defer deferments. Um, so they've been pretty good and also about standards. I think on the other side, <clears throat> you know, the travelling public probably trusts a big brand hotel than a small unbranded hotel because They've got what we call in Australia COVID-safe sites where you get government uh, approval for a COVID-safe uh, emblem on your website. Mm -hmm. So that gives the leisure market anyway some some uh, confidence to travel. The expectations of the travelling market, though, because it's mainly leisure, is that once they arrive in a hotel, they expect the same stuff, you know, Instant check-in, room service on hand, you know, pack in a bar, uh, and that's been difficult to manage, uh, costly and and difficult. So, so the operators have had to really adjust their both their standards and their organisations. I say another thing too, and I think Glenn touched on it. The operators have definitely flattened the organisations. 
if you look at if you look at a standard hotel organization chart, and this is probably happening in the States too. I mean, over time you're building a lot of fat, and that's okay because your average rate was high and your occupancies were good. But now um, you know, most of the managers I work with, they're working on three or four day weeks. They've cut out a lot of supervisory uh, positions. Uh, you know, so, so there's a lot of stress in the community at that level. I would mm. say, you know, people mm. with mortgages and families and that sort of thing. I know I'm sort of straying off your question a bit, but um, the brands, uh, the, the major brands, I've got five, have all been pretty good <clears throat> and responsive uh, to the owners, but. You know, how long will they hang out for? Mm. I, I see all their share prices have gone down about 30%, give or take, in the last 12 months. So they're under pressure. It's probably fair to say, Howard, as well, that, you know, like us, like ownership, they have um, had to rationalise their cost structures because of what's been happening yeah. at their revenue end too. And I think that plays right to the your point about their their corporate structures and uh, the the reduction in people and, and such, you know. And I think, um, you know, Howard, um, we, we probably see share the same uh, insights is that, you know, we are seeing um, a greater uh, camaraderie and utilisation, I guess, between operators and owners, um, uh, possibly as a consequence of rationalisation at the operator corporate levels. Um, and I think that's fantastic, um, you know, and those owners who have got the appetite to get engaged are actually uh, benefiting big time from, you know, what what the, the operator's knowledge and um, and what can be restructured at the cost base level. Um, you know, and, and I think as that muscle memory sets in, you know, I think this starts to paint the picture of the new norm between owners and operators um, in that uh, in that. Um, affiliation and consultation that we're seeing this year um, go forward, and that might well be the replacement for some of these heavy-weighted cost structures that that had ratcheted, as Howard said, over time. Uh, I think it's this is this is possibly part of that silver lining we're going to see. So you see a much closer a much closer cooperation, a much closer partnership, uh, or a different model yeah. emerging. No, I think I think we will see a much closer uh, model between ownership and operators um, uh, going forward, and and that's a really good thing, you know, mm. because um, you know profit is a derivation of revenue minus expense, and you know let, let's face it, revenue is still very much at the uh, it's still speculative by nature, it's still very much up to the markets, but costs mostly are within one hundred percent control of. Um, you know, in Australia with HMAs of the operator. Um, so that affiliation, that closeness now and the need to reduce the cost base, um, if we can get that muscle memory settling in from the 2020 experience into the future, I think there's some real great opportunities for the new norm um, going coming out of this. Do you see that yeah, the same way? Uh, yeah, sorry, Lucia. Mm, yeah, uh, uh, I think everyone wants to jump in. Yeah, uh, go ahead. It's a really good... I think it's a really good topic and everyone just sees it from a different lens and different perspective. And I completely agree with, uh, with Nigel and with Howard. Uh, but the, the thing is, each brand has, 
you know, I, call, I counted a couple of weeks ago, it was over 50 brands. Uh, RHGs in 30s, uh, Marriott's are in 30 brands. And you reduce your brand standards. And then how do you differentiate between the brands? At the end of the day, there is just so many. So I think at the end of the day, it will lead to, a, you know, once everything stabilizes, is the brand stripping going to stay the same forever? Uh, I don't believe so because, you know, they they will have to keep those brands alive, whatever brands they want to keep alive, and they have certain markers and certain delivery points. So they would have to then rethink their entire brand strategy, uh, as otherwise they would not be able to sustain so many brands on their books. Mm-hmm. Glenn, did you I, want to jump I, in as well, or Howard does want to jump in? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Glenn. No, Glenn. Okay. Go ahead. Look, mine, mine probably goes on to the, the rationalisation and, and I guess one of the concerns, there's benefits and positives. One of the concerns I had moving forward was that with the consolidation that was already happening across the industry, um, the head offices and the corporates uh, of these listed management companies were already extremely stretched. Uh, now, given COVID-19 and the, the significant reduction in revenues, um, there's likely to be uh, a lot of uh, reduction in labour, and we're already seeing it from a corporate level. Um, and then when you look at it from a, a more medium-term perspective, in, especially in terms of such a challenging environment, is that with so little head office support, you're back to where we were sort of, well, we're probably worse than we were 20 years ago in terms of having that oversight in the hotels and and that output from head office, which is very much CBD-centric, means that there's a generalistic approach to markets taken. And, for instance, a uh, good example be Brisbane. The performance of the Brisbane CBD then shapes their views on what happens in some of these sub-markets like Fortitude Valley or South Brisbane, which uh, Nigel's very uh, aware of as well. Now, these are very different sub-markets with very different demand drivers and will perform actually, in our view, better than the CBD market, but they can be damaged by this generalistic approach because they just don't have the resources to analyse the data analytics to say, well, this is a different market, different drivers, therefore, because of this on weekends, Fortitude Valley and South Brisbane, we should be actually increasing our rate because the demand's growing from a leisure perspective and the CBD is not getting that. Mm. Um, and then the other concerning factor, and this is probably pre-COVID, but we're trying to build up our understanding of occupancy. At the moment, demand is actually strong for hotels. Our biggest problem is we've got so many shut borders uh, domestically that that demand just can't get to our hotels. Okay, how do we then layer up and say, well, when the Victorian border opens, how much of the demand that we had previously is going to come back? So what does that mean to our occupancy? When the Queensland border opens, how does that layer up? When we're trying to get this information from our operators as to how much of your business comes from, say, Victoria, they're struggling to actually give us data. Uh, and it gives me great concerns around how much data are they capturing? Do they actually have the data to understand exactly where specifically their guests are coming from? Hmm. Uh, they just can't pull it out of the system at the moment. So I think moving forward, that reduction in, in labour costs is going to exacerbate um, the lack of insight and data that's needed, especially for our portfolio, which is quite unique and in quite unique sub-markets. And Glenn, can I ask you, to your first point, would you, because obviously your HMA uh, structure is yeah. is not getting supported 
that's what you were pretty much saying. Would you consider a franchise? Is that uh, the answer to it? Would you be better off just running it yourself? Well, we've just done a similar thing. Uh, we've actually launched our first white label, um, which we've basically got Lance Moore to run our Brisbane property in Fortitude Valley as the Constants. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge we have, and I'd love to do exactly that franchise a few more, except I don't want to operate the hotels myself. I like focusing on strategic. Yeah. Um, so white label have, is the answer? White label, we don't have, unfortunately, in Australia, an established, sophisticated white label operation. Uh, there's a few smaller operators. Lansmore is probably one of the biggest. Um, but we don't have the same system in the US, and Australia's crying out for that. If there was a sufficient and significantly sophisticated white label platforms in Australia, I think there would probably be a bit of a move, and I think the managers would probably support that because, again, it supports the reduction of costs at the corporate level as well. Um, so it's something that we've been looking at, into for the last couple of years. We've done our first one. Um, and that property is quite boutique. It's only 65 rooms, so it makes sense to use that as a trial. Um, but this is a trial to assess the rest of our portfolio and how we look at it moving forward. So is that an opening, and a new business opportunity for you then that, that the crisis has opened up? Um, as we're kind of going to the last conversation here, right? opportunities and, and, um, and recommendations. Um, seems like you've grabbed yeah. something as an opportunity there. Look, it's an opportunity uh, and it's a big opportunity. Uh, it's just not something necessarily that uh, I want to uh, get into myself personally. But, uh, yeah, if uh, a sophisticated uh, white label operator, for instance, came out of the US and wanted to set up, I think there's a massive opportunity there. Good. I, I was going to say you, you, the three others have been talking about costs, but my big worry in 2021 is revenue. I think you're going to in the cities. You've got we've got hotels that are closed in our major two cities, uh, and and a lot of other hotels with quarantine business, and we've got another group of hotels being built, particularly in Melbourne. Now, when all that comes after March, say, next year, and they start to re-enter the market. And we've still got, we won't have any international business unless a vaccine pops out, you know, this year, which is doubtful. Um, And the corporate market is getting used to meetings like we're doing. So that's going to sort of trail off maybe for a year or two. Uh, Conference market, still limited, but starting to grow with smaller meetings. But I think 2021 is a real concern for me. Mm. Uh, we're, we're mainly a domestic market in Australia, 80%, give or take. And uh, we've got a lot of supply coming back into the market. And, you know, hold on, is what I can say. I think we're pretty good cost managers generally down here because of what the others have said, you know, because of payroll costs. We're, we're across that constantly right job sharing you know shorter hours cluster 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 agreements uh flatter organizations you know we we pound that every day but revenue you know you guys tell me where's it going to come from Look, it's going to be mixed, Howard, and I think every market's different to my point. Um, I mean, some of our hotels 
um, had been trading pretty close to last year in those regional markets, infrastructure-focused hotels. Um, it's those markets like Sydney, Melbourne, with a, a much higher exposure to international that are going to struggle. And the challenge is, the reality is dropping your rates not going to change that situation because the demand isn't allowed to get in right. Um, so interestingly, I mean, I've actually uh, working with one of your ex-colleagues, Klaus Hartmann, who's actually <laughs> in the office behind me. So because uh, we see, as Howard says, revenue is a big issue. And uh, so we wanted to, to bring uh, that expertise in uh, to our hotels. But one of the things we've been doing because of this whole crisis and disruption in the market, we're sitting there saying, well, the demand that's going to come during this closed period is going to be the demand that's there. How do we use this as a great opportunity to really test elasticity of demand or inelasticity of demand? And so we've been playing around and Nigel's been helping with me with one of our hotels in Perth. And in a lot of our hotels, we've actually been increasing our rates or the rate has increased because of a change in mix. And interesting, we're just not seeing any changes to demand based on pricing. And uh, in some cases, we're moving at 20%. Um, so we're really trying to go back to pull these hotels apart and actually say, well, just because this is where you sat in your competitive set historically doesn't mean you ever had it in the right value pricing matrix. So we're actually pulling that apart and actually re-establishing and saying, well, for someone like like our suburban market, say in Penrith, we sit there and say, well, dropping your rate by $40 isn't going to mean someone's going to come from the city and stay in Penrith. They're coming to Penrith for a reason, so they're going to stay there anyway. So why do we actually care about what's happening in other markets? Let's focus, let's play our own game and focus on what we do best. Um, and I think that's why we've been able to manage to get to such low break-even levels is because we haven't played the game as some of the, the larger operators have and we haven't needed to to drop the rate to try and create demand that can't get to our hotels anyway. And we see that when you just what, what, yeah, what you just mentioned, we see that actually sorry, we see that actually around the world where, where, where hotels are realizing that it's a reset of their positioning, the, the market's changed, and we see a, we see a few of them kind of increasing rates as a result because of the, the, the reduced elasticity. So interesting that you're seeing the same phenomenon. Sorry, sorry, Howard. No, I was just going to say to Glenn, uh, I'm not suggesting for a minute that we drop rates. We're going to maintain rates. Do you remember that time? That's right. Jerry. I think on the opportunity front, I'm just going to change the topic because we can talk about the rates forever. And I agree with Howard. You know, uh, c capital cities are going to be constrained in terms of uh, revenue, especially Melbourne, Sydney, for at least next 12 to 18 months. But it's same as the rest of capital cities. London, you know, is in the same position as, as the rest of the global capital cities. And the winners in this instance are the regional cities. So Glenn is definitely a winner with his portfolio. Um, and we'll be struggling. But Heyman Allen is going to pick up really well once the borders open up. But the other opportunities which uh, I see, and I'll just go back to the previous question we had in terms of the financing, because... Banks are really constraining their exposure and just they're just trying to limit the risk. Uh, some of the winners are going to be the non-bank lenders. Um, 
the, if the valuation drops and your LVRs are dropping because the banks are asking you to reduce from 60% down to 40% and there is not enough income or cash flow coming from the operations, there is going to be a requirement for some equity top up and that's when the non-bank lenders pop in and the, the rates which are being charged in the markets are 10 plus percent. Uh, and if if it's not just a pure debt and you can do it as pref equity, you know, there is a a, a possibility for a new ownership to be struck over the next period of time. And that, that's kind of the opportunity. And there is a very good saying, uh, the time to buy property when there is blood on the streets. And as Glenn said, you don't want to waste uh, a good crisis. And I think I'll just, just talk to, you know, my point is to those two points. Uh, there are opportunities in terms of investment. It's not going to be immediate. It's going to come with a little bit of pain over the next two years' time, but if there is sufficient security and, and financial stability, um, there are some good investments to be made over the over this period. That's brilliant. Um, hopefully, somebody will listen and put some money to uh, into it as well. I'm sure to Malfa. <laughs> to Malfa. To yeah, Malfa. That's right. <laughs> well, I think Len is also trying to raise a fund, right? So uh... no, no, not Len. He's, he's selling. <laughs> I'm not sure about Nigel, but Collier is a different uh, different ball game, right? <laughs> All right. To wrap up the conversation, uh, um, uh, recommendations. So we heard about the investment from from Lucia and Nigel. Do you want to do you want to add anything to that? Um, uh, or yeah. Look, I think that the only thing I'd like, I'd finish off with saying is um, listening to the others talk about the. Uh, different concerns for next year. I think this just spells to me, you know, if you're, if you're developing a um, portfolio or you're, you're hunting opportunities, um, the, 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 the power of diversification, because there are going to be pockets of opportunity. And if you are well diversified in your investment strategies, that, to me, it, that sort of gives you the best uh, blended base of opportunity. I think as well, um, you know, uh, my last comment would be around holding on to the learnings of 2020, particularly around our cost base and our operator affiliations, um, because I, I truly believe this is going to be the ticket to the new norm and, uh, and, and where you'll find value in the future. Brilliant. Thank you. Anyone else? Any closing statements before we wrap it up? No? I think that was a good wrap. Good wrap, Nigel. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Thanks, well, thank you, everyone, for your time in the, in the morning and appreciate your, your kind of thoughts and input. Um, really valuable. Uh, I've also learned a lot about Australia. You guys seem to be doing better than other countries, um, I guess, in many respects, uh, not just in the hotel investment side. So um, good luck for the next few months, and I hope I can make it down there um, in 2021 or latest in 2022. I have to use my Qantas credits that I still have sitting there. <laughs> there'll be a beer waiting for you Klaus <laughs> <That's right. laughs> alright thank you thank you everyone and um, uh, talk to you soon thanks Klaus, thanks, thanks, Klaus. Klaus. Bye -bye. Klaus. <laughs> goodbye thank you very much for listening and I hope you found this episode valuable for your own business circumstances check out the show notes link to the episode help more people in the industry find this podcast by sharing and rating and don't forget to subscribe to the series wherever you listen to it